Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. While I'm giving this message, there are people alive today that do not have the peace of God, that have lived in conflict, arguments, and great tragedy. My mind goes back many years when I had a lady come into my office whom I've never met before, and she began to spill out her heart to me saying that she's a broken woman. She could not function as a mother, as a woman. She couldn't function on her job, and she began to just sob to tell me what had happened. Just a few months earlier than that, she and her husband had an argument probably like many of us have had one at one time or another. And her husband was so hurt, yet arguing just the same, that he said, I can't stand this any longer. He got in his pickup truck and he headed down the road in Texas. And while he headed down the road, she wasn't finished yet, that last word. And so she chased after him in the car. And as she did, she noticed her husband out a couple of blocks in front of her. And as she's racing to catch up, he crosses the road, crosses over and gets on top of a railroad track right when a freight train hit his truck. It exploded into bits, and he died right there in front of her. And all she could think about is the unresolved conflict of an accident. Well, thankfully, there was hope. Couldn't bring him back to life again. We patched her up emotionally. She's back now living for the Lord, but she will never forget the scar that she has. I read recently, there's a young man, age 16 years of age, that was tried as an adult, he was having such bad arguments with his father and he had such a friend that he talked his friend into shooting his father on the couch with a shotgun three times. Obviously, they were caught and sentenced to 30 years and they must live out a minimum of 15 of those years before they can ever talk about even the remote possibility of parole. Their lives are wrecked. There was conflict going on. Now, why am I giving you such radical and dramatic stories? Well. Those stories, and I'm telling you, still had a beginning before they ended in such tragedy. And maybe where you are right now, you are at the beginning of something that might, prayerfully not, end in any near tragedy like that. But all of us know at times that when we've had an argument with our mate and we go off to work, we don't have the same day at work as we did. Our wives certainly will carry that pain of the words. Our kids carry it to school, into the community. And it happens to all of us. So we're in the book of James right now. And James is the wisdom book of the New Testament as Proverbs is of the Old Testament. And we're in a portion of scripture that very clearly talks about how to stop conflicts and arguments. And so I'm glad that you're here today. I want to help you so that your relationships would be healthier, especially in communicating and understanding the cause of arguing and conflict and the cure. I want to talk about the reason for the conflict and then perhaps a little bit of the remedy for it. But I'm also speaking to a different group of people in a sense. Those would be some of you that are influencers, those of you that are teachers and disciples and employers, those of you that have a direct verbal access to other people. And as you hear them out in the community struggle, and I'm sure there's some good counseling, anger management and all of that, but nothing is better than the counsel of God's word and the Holy Spirit. And so I want to equip you to do this. Now, let me share with you, even though we're covering such a small section of scripture and it is absolutely dripping with truths and power, I'm going to have to give it a lick at a promise. But what I'd like for you to do is to take good notes today. 
so that you will have them before you so that you will have from the inside out a correction and attitude change when you're facing issues especially when I talk about what is the cause of it go back to the root you know cut it off at the past before you have to then try to solve it once the conflict is full-blown so I would hope to help you with that now I'm I'm, I'm computer like some of you are um, but some of you are light years ahead of me so occasionally I'll go to the one-on-one -on -one classes that they have at the uh, Apple store in one of the malls and, and within I get an hour with them and within that hour that guy is going and this is what you do and he's so frustrated with this old man up here that he's just moving my mouse for me and so the the only bad thing is is that I can't bring him into my life every single day and sit in my office he gives me the truth and never have I seen this happen more than more recently, how bad I am at delivering truth to you so rapidly. I want to give it to you so that you could take it home and go back to your time with the Lord in this stuff. But there's my contact information. I love you and I want you to have this. And I want you to have the joy of the Holy Spirit in a world that I cannot promise you won't have conflict. But at least it'll be minimized in what we're doing. To do that, I want to begin by talking about the cause of conflict, but today I don't want to just fill you with information. I want to make it very relevant to your world. So I'm going to ask you to do something in your mind for me just in this one moment. This will be real easy for you to do. I want you to think about all the relationships that you have and pick out the one with whom you have the most conflict, the most arguments. Is it a mate? Is it a son or a daughter? Is it a parent? Is it a brother or sister? Is it someone on your job? Is it an upline, downline, equal line? Is it someone that's in your club or fellowship or a paddling team, whatever it might be? Is it someone that you serve with? Could it even be someone in this church and someone that you just seem to, you just are sandpaper life and it's more than just eh, it's where you actually get into this conflict of arguments. I want you to keep that person's uh, thought in your mind as you go through this because I'd like to address this and what you should do with that kind of person. Now, I'm not that ignorant to think that this is all there is to know on how to resolve conflicts. But there is so much here that you will be light years ahead if you just take this one tablet from this passage and meditate on it and let the Spirit of God change you and that you'll be a light year ahead on this. So instead of thinking about, oh, there's more, what about this, what about that, and then you shut down entirely, own this today and become a real part of your life with this truth. It'll take time. You'll learn it, forget it, learn it, forget it, learn it, and you'll get it. Okay, so stay with it. I think it'll help you. So let's talk about what it would be the, the cause of the conflicts. And I'll give it to you in one phrase. It's simply conflicting desires. Often when you get into an argument, it's because they have their opinion or their view on this and you have your view on this. Let's look at this passage of scripture for just a moment in verse one. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members or could say in you? Now, if you don't mind, I'll take you back to your children. Can you remember that even with your youngest children, before they could speak, they were sending you signals that they were conflicting with you as their parents? Can you remember that time when they kind of, they were fighting you on that? And then they learned the language. And what does you think their first word is? Maybe beyond mama or dada. What's their first word they learn, everybody? See how easy little kids have it. And it goes all through their life, and it even ends up in marriage. Now, I know that some of you are thinking that your mate called me to give this message for you. That's not the case. Every marriage goes through those times. In fact, they often say that marriages have three stages. The first stage is the happy honeymoon. The second stage is what we might call um, the party's over stage. 
And then the third stage is, let's make a deal, okay? You know, you're in that room, I'm in this room kind of thing. I hope that's not with you. And probably some weeks it's one stage and it goes back to the other stage. Some people say that marriage is like a ship. You have friendship, relationship, and battleship. Another person said it's like rings. You have engagement ring, wedding ring, and suffering. Now, you that are single, I want you to know that's not always the case, all right? That there will be some days that there'll be some challenges. And kids, if you hear your mom and dad uh, argue, I don't want you to think that they've given up the faith, that they're not listening to their pastors. It's normal to do that. On the other hand, it's supernatural not to do that. And God will help us through the supernatural to minimize that, to reduce that. So it's going to happen. But where is it going to come? It's going to come from within us. We're basically the cause of this. We're the ones that either will initiate it or will keep it going or will make it worse by trying to stop it in the wrong way. And so God does speak to that and it's important for us to realize it. So when it talks about conflicting desires, what would be the conflicting desires? In this passage, there are three of them, but these are almost the same three that fit all the, the courses of life. And what are they? A consuming desire to have, a consuming desire to be, a consuming desire to do. And so let's look at these three together, shall we? What's the first desire? And this would be desire to have possessions. Now think for just a moment in an argument that you've had with that person. Was there something that you wanted to have that they wanted to take away from you? Something you wanted to have so badly and they argued with about the validity of it or the value of it or the timing of it? It, it surrounded itself around possessions, on having things. Materialism could be a cause for that. And of course, the worldview is to less, all the time make us feel like we don't have enough, we need to have more. And so what we have isn't good enough, isn't new enough, won't help us as much, so we need to have something else as a possession. So when the world is doing that in the secular worldview, we soon begin to buy into that. And the signals are sent to us, not so subtly, but so consistently all the time that we now begin to embrace that value system slowly and then a little bit faster and we can almost justify why we need that and we can almost spiritualize it because it'll further the gospel, it'll help me with my walk with God, we can do more for Him and we have all that going on within us and yet at the same time there becomes the arguments because we want to have something that we shouldn't have. Look at the verse there, it says, you lust and desire and yet you do not have. It's because you want it, you want it so badly but yet you do not have it. Now let me speak about our economy for a moment. I think that arguments are probably escalating more in, in our homes today because as our economy has slowed down to this recession level and depends on how bad you are, where you are, we're at furlough Fridays and things going on in your world, things going up, that you can't afford to have what you would really like to have. And you're struggling with that right now. Do you know that the majority of first marriages divorce over finances and possession issues. Second marriages will often divorce more frequently over that and the kids that are involved in that second marriage that happens. Now let me add a little bit more fire to this. Because we don't have as much right now, we want more, that frustrates us, and here in our world today, more is even being taken away from us. So it's not like I want more in the good old days five or six years ago and we can't have. It's like we can't even have it and we need it and we're struggling with it. So think about the last conversation you had with your mate, your parents, or your kids. Did it involve them wanting something, something that costs money in order to have? There's an argument in that. Conflicting desires between what you want and what they want. Here's the second one, the desire to feel. We'll call that pleasure. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasure. Now, it's not that God doesn't want us to have things. 
He doesn't want us to love things. He wants us to enjoy what we have. So scripture then speaks to that. The balance is be content with what you have. So kind of dial it down a little bit. Be grateful for what you have. Wait on the Lord until he either provides it for you through the funding or it's given to you. But be content. Remember that it does say to enjoy what we have so much now rather than wishing we had more. I read just recently, in fact, last night, I read an article that talked about that there is psychologically a greater excitement about getting something than when you actually have it. After you own it, almost within a week, you almost have buyer's regret and the, and the scale drops it down rapidly after you have it. And so the good feeling you have wanting to get it and maybe even the moment of purchase of it doesn't last after you already have it. It scales down quite rapidly. And that's going to happen with that pleasure that we think that we get for that moment that we have it. So be content. Enjoy what we have. Sometimes it's we love things and use people instead of loving people in using things. And here's the third desire. The third desire is the desire to be. And I'm going to give you some words that begin with the letter P. That would be the word pride, power, prominence, popularity. In other words, we want to have something, whether it's a position or power or prominence, or we want to be liked by others. And so now we're in a confliction because we're looking to be loved by the other person. So we look to the other people to like us. And when we have a problem with our parents, it's the conflict between being accepted and loved by our peers more than receiving the respect and the affirmation from mom and dad. And so we have this confliction going on in our life. Let's look at the verse here. This is not from James. It is taken from the Old Testament Proverbs. Again, the Proverbs of the Old Testament. It says, only by pride comes contention. And so if you are in a contentious situation where there is some arguing going on, for just a moment, take a deep breath and ask yourself, am I the one that is wrestling with pride right now? It's quite likely that you are. Now, later on, I'm going to speak to the point, what happens if they have 95% problems and pride and I only have 5%? I'll answer that in just a little bit. But for right now, just take ownership of where you are. Where does pride sit in? Me, my, mine. Again, conflicting desires about having something, feeling something, being something, something there that you want in your life. So do a little catalog check. And by the way, this is so relevant that almost every argument, you're going to have to run that argument through this check of where the conflicting desire is. So that happens to be where our problem is. So why aren't our desires fulfilled? Why do we still have these problems within us? Well, it really drops down to two main reasons, and it's in the passage here. Look at it, if you will, beginning in verse 2 and 3. It says this, you do not have because you do not ask. So the first reason is we don't pray. So we want these things, but instead of waiting on the Lord and going to the Lord for them, then we get all conflicted over this, and we get angry about it instead of just saying, you know what? I need to wait on the Lord and just ask Him. Now, I have to tell you something. I am just in the, in the learning curve of doing this more frequently. I'm one of those that will pray for the big things. I'm asking God to provide for us to have our parking lot repaired in the next two months. It's going to take $20,000. I don't know where we're going to get it. We're going to trust the Lord. I'm learning to pray for the big things. I'm asking God for staff in particular areas that are equipped with our philosophy, our direction, and can support the leadership. I'm asking God for that. I can pray the Lord for the big things, maybe because I'm a visionary and I'm a leader. But you know what I have trouble for? I have trouble going to the mall in Walmart when there's no parking places and asking God for a parking place. Now, you're laughing. You've been there. 
So I'm going there, and, I, and Carol says, we got to go to Walmart. I said, no, no, no. I get up at 4 in the morning. Would you go with me then? And, of course, she says, no, no, no. we got to go on, you know, Friday afternoon at 3.30, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and so we're trying to find this parking place. Now, my wife is much further. She prays for the big things and the little things. So in there, and I'm, I'm doing the grumbling thing. I'm, now, we're not arguing yet, but it's because I don't have time for this stuff, you know. I'm content with what I have. I don't need Walmart. No, I'm just joking. So, so Carol says, well, we'll just pray for a parking place. And she knows I do this. I kind of look up this way and I go, parking place, you know? And so she ends up over there and she prays. And I, I have to tell you, it's like she and God are like this. My wife is so special and so close. So she pray, and there, boom, a guy pulls right out. I don't care what mall. I don't care if it's at Christmas time. It's just the car evaporates in front of me and I get a parking place. So now when I have to go and I know there's traffic, I make sure Carol goes with me. No, no. I, I pray for those things. Now I'm just learning. This last week, I've been having trouble with my computer, and you know that I do a lot of writing. All my research is on there. I'm working on the next Bible study series, I'm, and I'm excited about it, but it's all in my computer, downloaded, all is ready to go, and my computer shuts down. My, my, my disk drive doesn't work, and I hardly even know how to use a computer, let alone this stuff. So I take it to the store, and I say, could you fix this? He says, no, you have to leave it with me. And he says, by the way, sign this piece of paper that if while we're fixing it, everything gets erased, it's okay. So now I have to buy an external hard drive on the spot. So I have to do all of that. And so then I said, how long will it be? I got a wonderful weekend. Carol's sister's in town. They can play together and I can have all this time just to write. Three to five days. Now I have to tell you, sometimes I would get a little, eh. I didn't argue. I simply said, okay, God has other plans for me. I give it to him. I gave him the computer, did the download, and I just did. So I, I told, called Carol and our secretary. I said, would you pray? We got, I got to get this computer. Pray. And it wasn't because of me. I think it's because Carol prayed. So last night, they called me a day later. Your computer's ready. You can pick it up. So guess where I'll be while you're having lunch this afternoon? Picking up my computer. Now, I said all that to say this. A lot of our problems that we have in conflict with others is because we try to resolve it through manipulation and intimidation and instead of praying. But there's also a second part to that. Look at the verse. It goes on to say this. It says, you ask and you still don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive, that you may spend it on your own pleasure. So maybe some of you are saying you want something, and so now you're angry that you don't have it, so you know I can't argue about this, so I'm going to go to the Lord and I'll pray about it, and you don't get it. Maybe you don't get it is because the Lord is saying you're asking because it's something that's going to make you feel good. It's all about you, that you become the center of this thing here. And God says, wait a minute, I want to remind you again, it's all about me, meaning God, not about you. And so now it's not only praying, it means that you have to pray with the right motive. So those are the basic reasons. So really, if we look at this, the reason we have these problems is because we look more to other people than to look to God. We look more to other people to help us, our mate, to take care of the problems, or it's our mate's fault why we have the problems, instead of just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you to help me right now. Would you get me through this at this particular time? I think that's really where the issue is. I want to take this from a social, fleshy, human thing here, because our core value of this church is to our intimacy with the Lord, fuels our outreach for the Lord. We need to grow deeper in the Lord, so we'll go wider for the Lord. So let me say this very loudly. If you didn't get anything that I said from this message today, if you could only get this, the real conflict that we have that we are now involved and embroiled in an argument with others is more indicative of a conflict that we have with God than we do with that other person. Now that's what you want to take to the bank.
So when you're having this issue, the first issue you want to do is say, Lord, are you and I at opposite ends on this? Am I doing it your way? Is this about you? Am I having a conflict with you? Am I um, needing that thing to fulfill a need in my life that I neglected to go to you to meet? Do I have to feel important so it's more about pride rather than making you the famous one instead of me? Not that you make him famous, but you, know, you, you let him out and he's famous and other people can see him. But instead it's you at the center of the attention. So see if some of this is revolving around a lack of intimacy with the Lord on your part. I have nobody in mind. It's just a personal thing that I have to look at. So when I start arguing, I have to remind myself, for, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. Is it Carol? No. Is it me? Yeah, but is it really me and God? That's really where the root is. And if you will, you can look at this passage because it kind of speaks to that whole thing again about our issue with it. Look at verses 4 through 6 and follow along carefully. It says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, if you have your Bible and you want to underline this, underline the phrase friendship with the world. And then a second underline under enemy with God. So let me talk about that for just a moment. When it talks about friendship of the world, all right, there's a lot more behind it than just being a friend of someone that's in the world, like a neighbor who's unsaved. When you look at friendship of the world, it would be the world value system. We'll call it a secular worldview. If I'm a friend, in other words, I want to embrace that worldview. Obviously, people are connected to value systems and worlds and thinking and all of that. They spout it off. They teach it. They live it. They try to force it on others. You know where I'm going with this. If I want to embrace that, I'm a friend of that. I'm friendly to that. I'm open to that. Then I'm going to be an enemy with God. Now, stay with me on that thought. That system, that belief system is in the people that will now sell it to us in some way. So when you think friendship of the world is enemy of God, some of you stop right there and you say, yep, that's right, I've got to withdraw, not be around any lost people, cocoon up, monk up, and I've got to be alone and I'll be okay. That's not really what it's saying. What it is saying is watch out for the value system. That's why you hear me say to you singles out there, do not, Christians, do not marry another Christian. Huh? You want to marry a dedicated Christian with a biblical worldview. It's like you don't want to go for Christian counseling. Those are just Christians who counsel. You want to go for biblical counseling. And Christians are the ones who will do that. So again, if I'm a friend of the world system, the world belief system, the value system, no matter whom it might come through, that's when I'm an enemy of God. And so now, most of what I desire is going to be paraded in front of me through a secular worldview lens. So I have to be very careful. My conflict is going to be with him when I embrace that. So let's go a little bit further here. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now that is, that, that'll preach all day. It's not that God wants to be your enemy. It's not that God is making you his enemy. It's when you do this, you made God that enemy. He's not that way. His whole job is to now not be an enemy to you. His job is to reconcile you to him through Christ on the cross. That's the beauty of it all. So it's really God says, I'm gracing you, I'm mercying you. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. Whoop. We go all the way back to the pride thing, don't we? But he gives grace to the humble. So those are the things that will cause arguments. So if that's what causes arguments, bottom line, pride, relationship out of whack with God, then what then 
would be the cures to these arguments in the same passage of Scripture. So let's look at it. I'm going to put it in one word. It's the word humility. I know it's oversimplified, but sometimes there's profundity in simplicity. So humility is the word. Let's look at the verse. I'm going to look at verse 6, and then I'm going to drop you down to verse 10. It says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Last verse, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So it needs to be answered this question. What is grace? Well, I know that I'm saved by grace, but I'm also kept saved by his grace. I am taught by his grace. I am disciplined by his grace because at the epicenter of my relationship with him is grace. So grace is the power to do the things that I ought to do found in scripture. So God gives me that power. Now, now think with me. In this passage, it says that if I have pride, that that means I lack humility. And so if I have pride and I lack humility, what does he do with the prideful people? He will bring them down. What does he do with the humble people? He lifts them up. Jesus said, if any man serves me, him will my father honor. So God will lift up. But now, between the pride and the lifting up over here, the bringing down and the lifting up, is the grace. Now, grace comes when we own our pride, give it up to God, then he cleanses us, then the grace comes, and now we have the power to do what we ought to do. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.